was December 1st. December 1st, the 25 days of Christmas begin. It's already here. It's already coming down the pike right at us. And I hope that you're prepared. I'm certainly not ready, nor am I even close to being ready. Uh, But this becomes a natural rhythm and a pattern in our lives and in our calendar. And it should be a time in our lives where we are filled with gratitude and thankfulness. Again, as I was saying, for all that God uh, has done. Thankfulness for our families, right? Some of us, maybe not some of us, <laughs> but thankful for our families, thankful for our friends, thankful for our homes, thankful for good food. Man, I had some good food on Thanksgiving. I hope that you did as well. There were people here on Thanksgiving Day who were frying turkeys and, and uh, preparing a meal for those in the community, uh, and thankful for good memories, thankful for time that we get to spend together and, and make memories I was driving around in the area, up uh, in Hazleton area, uh, the other day with my wife. Secret, we were actually picking up Krispy Kreme, because there's only, there's a Krispy Kreme only 50 minutes from here. I didn't know if you, it was worth the trip, okay? So we were going to pick up Krispy Kreme, and as I was driving to the area, I was reminded of my grandfather. My grandfather passed away about three years ago, and I just remembered all the Thanksgivings that we got to spend up there, and I was just so thankful uh, for the memories I was able to have Uh, with him. So, so many reasons to be thankful. And of course, it goes without saying that we as believers, those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, those of us who have put our faith in Jesus Christ, we're thankful for the gift of salvation. Amen? We can be excited about that. We should be able to celebrate the gift of salvation that we have through Jesus Christ. So, I'm sure it's been said uh, in some fashion before, but I think it's strange that in our culture, Thanksgiving has taken a little bit of a back seat. It seems like Thanksgiving gets a pretty bad rap. I don't know if you would agree with me, but it seems like Thanksgiving kind of gets skipped over. For whatever reason, uh, Halloween is celebrated more than Thanksgiving, it seems like. And then Thanksgiving gets stuck in there between Halloween and, and Christmas. And because we're getting ready for Christmas, it's just like, Thanksgiving could almost be uh, forgotten, and Thanksgiving has begun to take a back seat. And right after we get done stuffing our faces on Thanksgiving, and what is it, the tryptophan starts coursing through our clogged arteries from the gravy, and we pass out on the couch, right? Right after we get through all of that, we kick back, we watch some football, and we begin to relax, and we doze off, only to wake up either that evening or the next day, after Thanksgiving and giving God thanks for all he has done, only to wake up the next day and think, I need more stuff, right? It's Black Friday. We're so thankful for all God has blessed us with, and uh, we're so thankful for all God has given us, and we give God thanks for that, we're grateful for that, and we wake up on Black Friday like animals, like, I need more stuff in my life. I don't know what that's about, but it seems like it's pretty uh, ironic to me. So in one moment, We sit around the table and give thanks for what we have, and immediately we feel the need for more. We immediately feel the need for more things to fill a void in our lives, and we immediately feel the need for more stuff. So I'm not sure what's wrong with us, but that's just how we are, I guess. I guess we can never really be satisfied, but we need to be aware of this kind of, I don't know, I guess we need to be aware of this tug at our hearts Uh, to not be thankful for what it is that God has given us and what we have. Would you agree? We need to be thankful for what God uh, has given us. I don't know what it is about Black Friday. It's always the Tupperware deals, though. 
You know what I'm saying? It's like always like the $15 Tupperware deals that get, you need that for the Thanksgiving leftovers. So it's always those Tupperware, Tupperware deals that get me. I didn't buy Tupperware, just in case you're wondering. I guess that's like a mark of adulthood. When you like look through like magazines and you see the Tupperware deal at Walmart along next to the Instapot, that's when you're like, that's like, that's when I'm officially an adult, I guess. So, but in all sincerity, for those of us who are in Christ, we have so much to be thankful for. We have so much that we can celebrate. And as expected, uh, on the Sunday following Thanksgiving, I want to take some time to acknowledge the blessings that you and I have made available to us through Jesus Christ. Following this message, we're going to have some time in prayer and communion and testimonies. But in the meantime, if you would open up in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1, we're going to be in the first few verses of Ephesians. So Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. This is a phenomenal passage of scripture. It'd be so easy just to read this and to ignore it. It'd be so easy to read this and brush by it and not think about how incredible this passage of scripture is. It's actually just the beginning of the book. It's the greeting of the book. But it's Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. And this is what it says. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. To the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That's where I'm going to stop. In the every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So this happens to be uh, one of my, if not my most favorite passage in the entire New Testament. It blows my mind. It really blows my mind. As we read this passage, I want to read it again. I'm going to read it again just to kind of emphasize how beautiful of a passage of Scripture this is. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. It doesn't get better than that. It's not, it's not much more beautiful than that. It can't be said in a much better way than that. And again, this is like my favorite passage of Scripture. The first few verses written by Paul is actually this one run-on sentence. I didn't even finish it, but it's one run-on sentence where Paul gets caught up in praising God for the incredible blessings that he has in Jesus Christ. He gets so excited that he begins writing this letter to the Ephesians and he can't contain his excitement about how God has blessed him. Could you imagine if during worship, you got so caught up in the goodness of the God that we serve. If you got so caught up in the praises of your God that you couldn't contain yourself, and that's exactly what you get here in this passage of Scripture, Paul can't contain himself. And it's just pouring out of him statement after statement. He gives way to the blessing and the praise of his God. It's an incredible verse. It's a beautiful verse uh, that Paul writes as he's praising the God that he serves. It's critical for us to understand, however, the condition that Paul is writing this letter is in. 
it's important for us to understand the condition in which Paul is writing this letter. Paul had been to Ephesus once before. That's why it's called Ephesians. He wrote this letter uh, to the Ephesians, the church in Ephesus, and he'd been to Ephesus once before, and he actually started a riot. How cool is that? Could you imagine if your faith was so strong that wherever you went, you stirred up trouble and caused riots? Well, Paul had been there, and Paul had started a riot. You see, Ephesus was an incredible city, much like our major cities of today. You could compare it to, like, New York City or Philadelphia. It was an incredible city. It was a port city, and it housed an incredible library with over 12,000 scrolls that dated back to the days of Babylon. It had an amphitheater. You can actually pull up images of Ephesus today, and you can still see this amphitheater. And as they got off of the ships there in the port, they would walk down this long road, and along the backdrop was this incredible amphitheater that sat 20,000 people. Ephesus had an estimated population of over 250,000 people, a quarter million people. It also became a center for pagan rituals, and it had an enormous temple that was built for the god of Artemis. When Paul came preaching the gospel, this is what ended up happening that caused him to start a riot. Paul came preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. And as a result, many people in Ephesus began to give their life to Christ. And they began to burn their scrolls. These were these scrolls that were used for magic. And you can read about this in the book of Acts. They, they calculated it to be about 50,000 pieces of silver. They took all of these scrolls. It was like they took all of their hard rock music and threw it out. You know what I'm saying? Like that kind of thing. <laughs> We've all did that back, like back in the 80s. That's what we used to, like, I was born in nine, 1990, so I don't even know what I'm talking about right now. <laughs> okay. So let's just be clear about that. But it's that same idea. They were burning all of uh, these scrolls that were used to uh, practice their pagan rituals, and they burned these scrolls that were used for magic, and they began to get rid of their idols, these idols that were made by silversmiths to the god uh, Artemis. Well, this ended up becoming a major issue, because as you could imagine, this drove the economy of Ephesus, and it interrupted the silversmiths' production of idols, and as a result, they incited a riot against Paul. You can actually, again, read about this story in Acts chapter 19. It's an incredible story. The people began to drag some of Paul's companions into this amphitheater. Just imagine a mountain, and carved out in the mountain is this amphitheater that seats thousands upon thousands of people. And Paul's preaching the gospel, and they become agitated with Paul, and they drag some of Paul's companions into this amphitheater. And thousands of people are there, and they begin to chant, great is the god Artemis. And they're trying to overthrow this one man. All of these people against this one man. And they drag some of Paul's companions into the theater. And Paul was ready to take them on. Paul was like, let me at them. Paul was ready to go. Like, you know that one guy that gets in a fight? And you're like, you probably shouldn't fight this guy because you're going to get beat up. But he's still eager and ready to go as if he can take on the whole world. That was Paul. Paul thought he could take on this entire crowd. Thankfully, in that moment, his disciples held him back and prevented him from taking them on, even though he was ready, ready, but he knew the power of the God that he served. 
He knew that the God that he served was the one true God, was the real God, and that he was an apostle by the will of God, and that he could stand before these thousands of people, and he could take on the world with his God, and Paul was ready to go. And so he didn't, his disciples didn't allow him to, but Paul now pens this letter to the church in Ephesus, and as he pens this letter, he does so from prison. What an obstacle. He does so from prison in Rome, where he ultimately awaits his fate. Tradition has it that Paul actually, while he's writing this letter, is preparing uh, for uh, his execution, that it wasn't much longer after the time that he wrote the book of Ephesians that he was executed, that he was beheaded, is what early church tradition holds. But Paul pens this letter to the church in Ephesus, and he does so from prison in Rome. You need to see the incredible providence of God in this story. Paul could have easily felt defeated and his ability to evangelize taken away, but under the influence of the Holy Spirit, Paul writes these letters to the churches that you and I are reading 2,000 years later this very day. Paul, a man with a pen and paper in hand, single-handedly takes on the government and the culture of that day from a jail cell. How awesome is that? How awesome is our God? Against all odds, he prevails. And it's against this backdrop and from Paul's confidence in his God that Paul writes this letter to the church in Ephesus. And as he opens up, he cannot contain the praises to his God for the incredible blessings he has in Christ. Oh, that we would have the same attitude of Paul. I desire that attitude that in the face of the most difficult of circumstances, that I would still feel compelled by faith to trust in the goodness of my God. That when life doesn't go the way that I expect it to, that I would have a faith that is on the same level of Paul's, that even while he's in prison, he still knows that God can do an incredible work in his life. That we could have the same faith that says, no matter what I face, no matter what I go through, God is working in my life for a greater good and for a greater purpose. In the face of extreme difficulties in life, that it would not rob us of the praise and worship of our God, right? Wouldn't it be awesome to have a faith like that? That nothing would rob us of the praise and worship of the God that we serve. I want to look at a few key phrases in these verses that can give us a reason to celebrate even in the most difficult of life's circumstances. So let's look at these few verses, just a few verses, uh, and let's pull out a few key phrases that can help us find, if we don't have a reason to celebrate, that can give us a reason to celebrate as we leave here this evening. So the first phrase I want to pull out is in verse 1. It says, To the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. That doesn't hit you the way that it should hit you. I get it. Like when we read this, it's just something that we read past and we don't even think about. But I want you to recognize how Paul addresses the ones he's writing to. He calls them saints. That is an incredible reason for you and I to celebrate. Because when, call, when Paul calls them saints, he's saying the readers, the believers of Jesus Christ, all of those who believe in Christ are saints. 
that you are a saint in Christ Jesus. I know that doesn't hit you the way that it should, but the first reason for celebration, celebration is recogni- recognizing that we are given a name we don't deserve. That you are given a title that you don't deserve. Have you ever been to a store and somebody thinks that you work there and so they ask you a question and you immediately back up like, whoa, 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 I don't, I don't work here actually. You know what I mean? It's like they think that you're somebody that you're not. As strange as that moment is for us, it's nowhere near as strange as being called a saint um, as these early believers would have been called. Typically, the term saint was reserved for God's chosen people, the consecrated ones who are separated, the holy ones who are special servants of God. This term saint is reserved for those who God uses for his special purposes. You can think of the heroes of the faith from the Old Testament, that we as saints are put on the same level as Abraham and Moses and David, these incredible heroes of the faith that we read about in the Old Testament. Now here, Paul is applying this term to the believers in Ephesus and consequently you and I. You, as a believer in Jesus Christ, are a saint in Christ Jesus. How awesome is that? You are separated for God's purposes. You are holy and set apart and consecrated by God to be used for the praise of his glorious grace. That is the whole purpose of your life, and you and I are saints in Christ Jesus. Again, I know this doesn't affect us the way that it would have affected the early church, but for Paul to do this, would have been incredibly mind-boggling for those from a Jewish background. These once worldly people, these people who once lived like the rest of the world lived, following the desires of their flesh, us, right? Those of us who once walked in, in, in darkness, in blindness, ignorant of the things of God, those of us who once lived in sin, now being called saints, by Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, now being called saint, a name that was reserved for those only in Israel, a name that was reserved for the ones that God separated for his own purposes. That is what Paul says about you and I. Paul calls the Gentile believers saints. Paul calls those of us who once lived in sin but are now followers of Jesus Christ saints. That is worth celebrating. Secondly, Paul said that they were faithful in Christ Jesus in that the term saint was given to them because of their ability to live and believe in God despite the world around them. The thing that makes us a saint is that we are set apart from the world that we live in, that we don't live like, act like, talk like, or look like the world around us. Much like Ephesus, the world that we live in is a dark place. Don't get me wrong, Ephesus was a sight to behold. It was beautiful. The things that were made available, the conveniences that were made available to the Ephesians, the luxuries and the incredible sights that you could take in in Ephesus, the things that could draw people from all over the world, the same things that you and I deal with in the world that we live in, the things that we could get caught up in, the lusts of our flesh, whatever it might be, 
The things that makes us a saint is that in spite of the world that we live in, we stand set apart, consecrated, holy for God's purposes. We are called saints in Christ Jesus. Seems worth celebrating, am I right? The second thing that I want to look at for us that is a reason worth celebrating, we find in verse 2. It goes on to say, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Another reason that we can celebrate is because of the grace and peace that we have in Christ Jesus. We don't get it once again, but this is a significant greeting. This is a beautiful greeting. This is something that we can't completely grasp because we wouldn't recognize from reading it, but the regular term for greeting used among the Greeks would have been this word grace or rejoice or be glad, and the Jewish greeting would have been peace or shalom. We've all heard that term before, What Paul is intentionally doing is is reminding us of the redemptive power of God at work in our lives. Grace and peace, these two different terms, these two different greetings at work coming together to form one epic greeting that should be a cause for us to celebrate. This is a reason to celebrate, and so Paul does so by combining these two greetings into a beautiful greeting that celebrates how the gospel works. The grace of God brings about peace in our lives. Amen? The, The work of God's grace in your life brings about peace in your life. The fact that we are undeserving of salvation, and yet God has lavished his grace upon us. That brings about a level of peace in our lives that we did not have previously to knowing Jesus Christ. Grace at work in our lives gives way to peace. Grace at work in our world draws those of us who were once far off and brings us near and gives us peace with the God of the universe. That is the work of grace. That it brings those of us who were once walking according to our flesh, near and to peace uh, with the God of the universe. It is another reason worth celebrating this evening. The grace and peace that you and I have received through Jesus Christ is, is an incredible reason to celebrate. This is what you and I have to offer the world around us. Grace and peace. In spite of what's taking place in, at home, at work, or in the news, We are people of grace, and we carry around with us a peace that surpasses all understanding. If there is not a peace at work in your life, if you don't sense peace this evening, if something's taking place in your life that's preventing you from having peace, I would beg you to fall on your knees before God and pray for his grace, because you can't make peace happen. You can't control the circumstances of your life, and and you're not in control of your life, as we all know in different circumstances and times in our lives where we've been reminded of how fragile we are and just how life doesn't go according to the plan that we have, that in those moments where we don't sense that peace, we need a work of God's grace to bring about a peace that surpasses all understanding. It's grace and peace at work in our lives that is a cause worth celebrating. The next thing that we can celebrate, we find in verse 3. It says, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. 
I want to focus in on this term, every spiritual blessing. This is incredible news worth celebrating. You have been given every spiritual blessing in Christ. Isn't that incredible? You've been given every spiritual blessing in Christ. Amen? But what does that mean? <laughs> like, I, a spiritual blessing, like, I understand, like, earthly blessings. I understand when things are going the way that I want them to. I understand when my plan is working out just as I, but spiritual blessings? What does that mean? I'll admit it sounds great, but that doesn't pay the bills, does it? Go ahead and try next time you have to pay a bill. Write a note in the memo section of your check. Say that, you know, I have every spiritual blessing in Christ. This one's on Jesus. He's got it covered. Tell me how that, tell me how that turns. This one's on, he's got the tab for this one and see how that turns out. I'm guessing it probably wouldn't work. Seriously though, initially, if we look at this passage through our worldly lenses, it's a little anticlimactic, right? Every spiritual blessing. It sounds wonderful, but what does it mean? It's exactly what we expect to hear and it's what we already know. I get it. I'm blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing. It just doesn't seem to have an effect on our lives in a way that it really ought to because we're so caught up in the world that we live in. Here's the thing. Temporarily, we live here on earth, right? Temporarily, we live here, but spiritually, we live in the heavenly realms where Christ lives. That's what it says in Ephesians. That's what it says in God's word. Paul calls us to immerse ourselves in this truth and to celebrate it. The fact that we are at this very moment seated with Christ at the right hand of the Father in the heavenly realms. Whether that has an effect on you or not, it's true. That Jesus is seated next to the Father in heaven and we are seated there with him. There is a reality that is even more real than the reality that we're currently experiencing right now. I don't know what you're experiencing. I don't know what you're going through, but I know it feels difficult, and I know it feels real, more real than you could even bear, but there is a reality that is even more real than this reality we're experiencing. There is a spiritual reality that is greater than this one. Under the old law, under the Old Testament, much of God's promises were material in nature. You can read about it in Deuteronomy, right? God blessed the people of Israel. God blessed the Jewish people. He blessed them with obedience. You can read about it in uh, Deuteronomy. When they obeyed, he would bless them with fruitful wombs, flourishing crops, abundant flocks, bread, prosperity, and influence amongst the nations. That's what we're after, right? That's what we want. We want to know that the bills are paid, that we're healthy, that nothing bad is going to happen in our lives, and that everything will go well for us, and that if we're real lucky, we'll fall asleep and won't wake up, and when we do, we'll just wake up in heaven. Like, that's it. That's what we're after. That's what we're shooting for. And we read about regular blessings in the Old Testament with this idea of material blessing. Similarly, under the new covenant, Jesus takes care of his own and calls us not to worry about our needs. Uh, Charles Spurgeon once said that he that gives us heaven will surely give us all that we need on the road to get there. 
that God will give us what we need on the road to get there. However, unlike the old covenant, which only promises material blessing, which only lasts in this life, this passage is offering us spiritual blessing, which will last forever, which will last for an eternity. In this sense, the greater promise of spiritual blessing secures the lesser promise of material blessing. That if God wants to bless us spiritual, spiritually, he will also bless us here and now as well. You might respond with a feeling of dissatisfaction because something in your life might feel overwhelming at this moment and you need an answer, but I would challenge you to focus more on the spiritual blessing than the material blessings that God gives. The reality that the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing is a reality that is worth celebrating. Lastly, I want to look at this term in verse 3, where it says, in the heavenly places. Heavenly places. Currently, at this very moment, Jesus, the Son of God, is seated in the heavenly realms, and we are seated there with him. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? The significance of this is not to be understated. What does this mean practically? So what? If Jesus is in heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father, what does that do for me now? I'm struggling at work. My marriage is struggling. Uh, this is going on in my life. I'm not experiencing the health that I, I thought I would experience when I came to know. Like, all of these problems are taking place. So what if Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father? It doesn't affect me here and now. But the significance of this is not to be understated. In Paul's case, what does it mean that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father? What does it mean that Jesus is in the heavenly realms? Well, for Paul, Jesus being seated in the heavenly places meant that Jesus was above all rule and reign, whether that be the Roman government or the pagan gods of the Ephesians. The reason that Paul was so willing to give his life in Ephesus is the same reason that Paul now can rejoice from a prison cell facing the obstacles that he's facing. He recognizes that God is above it all. That God is above it all. Despite the fact that it looked like Paul was unable to do anything effective for the Lord, he took up his pen and paper and from a jail cell took on the Roman government, overcame the pagan gods of the Ephesians, and wrote a letter that you and I, by the providence of God, are reading today. Our God is greater than any obstacle to our faith. Do you believe that? Our God is far above all rule and reign. He is seated in the heavenly realms, far above the authorities and the principalities of this world. And he is working in your life. And he is greater than any obstacle to your faith. For us, that means as saints who have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus, whenever we face setbacks, obstacles, or insurmountable odds, our God is above it all, especially as we live for him and look to do his will. After Thanksgiving this past week and now after this evening, we're 25 days away from Christmas, and this is a good time for us to take inventory, to check our hearts, to look back over this past year and celebrate all that God has done. I would encourage you, 
if you're struggling to find something worth celebrating to consider or not, whether you are in Christ, and if you are and are still struggling, are you preoccupied with the material blessings or expectations that you have on this life and neglecting the spiritual blessings that we have been given in Christ? Because the greater promise of spiritual blessings ensures the lesser promise of material blessings. If you need something to celebrate, remember, we are saints. And God has given us his grace and peace in Christ Jesus. We are given every spiritual blessing in Christ. And finally, Jesus is seated in the heavenly places far above all reign and rule. God is greater than any obstacle you face in this life. Let me finish by reading this prayer of thanksgiving that Paul uh, wrote to the Ephesians at the end of this chapter. I'll read this as a prayer, and then we'll move into a time of testimony. Ephesians 1, verses 16 through 23. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you? What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as the head over all things to the church, which is the body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Amen. Amen.